Our scripture today comes from Luke 1, starting with verse 68. Let me give you a moment to find it. Luke 1, starting with verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, and he has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, Before I start, let me say thank you for uh, welcoming Tommy last week. It let me go and, uh, and... Marry my brother. I wasn't marrying him. I was, I was doing the marriage, I guess I should say. Uh, it was a great, of course, great day for, for JB and Haley, but it was a great day for me too. Uh, and uh, so thank you for welcoming him while I was able to go and do that. So if you can put your minds back to two weeks ago before I left, that Sunday I talked about a song or a canticle uh, called the, uh, so often called the Magnificat, the Song of Mary. It's the song that Mary sings when she finds out from Gabriel that she is going to be the mother of Jesus, the mother of God. And I told you then that in two weeks we would come back to another song, another hymn or psalm or canticle that we find in the early part of the Gospel of Luke, and it's called the Benedictus. It's the song that Zechariah sings when he finds out that his son John has been born. John the Baptist, who will lead the way for Jesus. And these two songs or hymns or poems, they are uh, ways for us even today when we, when we look at them and when we pray them ourselves to understand what it means to wait on the coming of the Lord. And when we look at, at the, the song that Zechariah sings, It helps us understand what it means to celebrate Advent, and it helps us to understand what the gospel itself is about. Because packed into this song is just an encapsulation of the gospel. It it tells us what all of Jesus' ministry is going to be about. And much like the song of Mary that we talked about two weeks ago, this song of Zechariah is meant for us not only to sort of study and learn from, but it's meant for us to pray ourselves, to sing ourselves, so that we can, through it, better learn what it means to be a part 
of the story of what God has done in Jesus. And to be a part of the hope that God brings us and brings the world even today. So before we we go deep into this song, a little background on who it is that's saying it, who it is that's singing it. This is the song of Zechariah. And if you had read through Luke 1 all the way, you would have met him just a few passages ago. Zechariah is a priest. And Luke tells us that he is righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. It's a good guy. He's married to a woman named Elizabeth. And their lives are good. They're good people. But the one thing is that they've wanted a child. And they haven't had one. They wanted a son and they haven't had one. And so they're praying and hoping and wishing. But it's looking like hope is lost because they're getting older. And the odds of them having a child are slimmer and slimmer, so it seems. So one day while Zechariah is serving in the temple, he's chosen to go into the sanctuary and offer incense to God. And so in he goes by himself with all of the assembly standing outside and praying. And while he's in to offer the incense, the angel of the Lord appears to him by the altar of where they, all, where they offer the incense. And Zechariah is what... Everyone is, when they see an angel, he's terrified. It says he's overwhelmed with fear. And and Luke tells us that the angel then says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. And the angel goes on to tell Zechariah that his son will have the spirit and the power of Elijah the one that was expected to make way for the coming Messiah. And so his son will make way for the coming of the Lord in Jesus. So when you hear this story, some bells should start to go off. This should sound sort of familiar from things that you might have heard about before or read about before if you've you've read through the Old Testament. A child of a couple's old age a child after a long time of waiting. Who's that sound like? That's the story of Abraham and Sarah, who, when Sarah was nearly 100, has a child. This is a story of Rachel, who gives Jacob a child after, for a long time, being barren. And this is much like the stories of the births of Samson and Samuel, these Prophets, these figures that uh, God uses in a special way for his people and announces to their mothers beforehand that their child will have a special mission in his life. And so when we read this story of the prediction of the birth of John the Baptist and the coming of the angel of the Lord to Zechariah, and all the bells from the Old Testament start going off. What this is telling us is that God is now acting on his promises. That the same God who is with Abraham and Jacob, the same God who is with Samson and Samuel, is now going to be with Zechariah and Elizabeth and John, who's yet to be born. 
That the same God who has been faithful to his people from the very beginning and who promised to Abraham that he would make a great nation out of his children that would bless the whole world is now bringing that to pass. And you know, if you're sitting in Zechariah's place, for a long time it looked like that wouldn't happen. It's been hundreds of years since there's been a prophet. It's been a long time since people have heard from God. And they're waiting. They're, they're hoping But it looks like hope might be lost. They live in a land that's occupied by Rome. How are their hopes going to come true? And so Zechariah, when he hears this news from the angel, he does what I think almost any of us would do. He doubts. And he says, how do I know that this is so? I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. And the angel then says that he is Gabriel. He the first time says his name. He's Gabriel. And he says, I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to tell you good news. But he tells Zechariah that since he didn't believe that from then until all of this comes to pass, he will be unable to speak. Unable to speak. He's silent. So, so Zechariah has asked for this sign. He's asked for... God to somehow show that what he's promised is really going to come true. And the sign that he gets isn't the sign that he expects because uh, Zechariah's silence, his inability to speak, is the sign. That is the sign that what God has promised is going to come true. And so Zechariah starts to bear in his own body the reality that his people had been going through. His people had been waiting in silence. They had been suffering in silence. They've been waiting on a fresh word from God and they hadn't got it for hundreds of years. And now Zechariah, he himself will be silent until John is born. You know, silence can be agonizing. Waiting can be agonizing. And feeling like you should hear something from God and haven't heard it can be just one of the the worst things in the world. And you know, a lot of you, I know, suffer in silence. And you might be the one who has been waiting on a child, like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Maybe you're the one who is suffering from illness. Maybe you are the one who's suffering from joblessness. Maybe you're the one suffering from all kinds of losses in your life that we can't even begin to name. Maybe you're waiting and hoping on a broken relationship with a family member or a friend. It just won't seem to repair itself. And you wait and you wait and you wait. And you suffer. And so often you can't even give voice to what you're suffering from. So you suffer in silence. And Zechariah and Zechariah's people know what it's like to do that. To wait and to be silenced. But you know, I found that at least for me, I think this is true for many people, that it's, it's in the silence and it's in the waiting that sometimes we hear afresh from God. And that's not to say that any of the things that we're suffering from in silence are good at all. Not at all. But that whatever circumstances we are in, whatever pain that we are bearing, that God can still speak to us in the middle of that. And that God hasn't forgotten us when it seems like God has forgotten us. And that's what Zechariah discovers in the midst of waiting 
on the fulfillment of God's promises that seem so soon at hand with the coming of his son, John. And so he waits, just like his people have waited and suffered. And then at long last, the silence ends. A baby is born, and Elizabeth is asked what this child is to be named. And she says, call him John. And they say, wait, no, none of your relatives are called John. Somebody go check with Zechariah. Surely that she doesn't mean to name him John. So they go to Zechariah, and he writes on a, on a writing tablet, and he says his name is John. And when he writes that, his voice is opened. And he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown mercy to our prom- to the mercy promised to our ancestors, and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Notice what Zechariah is celebrating almost breathlessly. You know, he's been, he hasn't talked for months and months and now he can talk and he just, it seems like he just blurts it out. It's really just like two sentences there. All of it comes rushing, rushing in as he celebrates. And he says that God's covenant faithfulness, God's faithfulness to his promises is now being fulfilled. And phrases the phrases that he uses in that passage come from all over the Psalms, all over the prophets, too many to name. We'd be here uh, for a way longer than you, you want me to go in a sermon. And he just spouts all of this from the Old Testament, uh, all of this from his scriptures. And God's promises coming to be real and present. Now what he's talking about here isn't just sort of a vague spirituality. You know, a lot of times when we talk about hope, and this is Advent, the season of hope, we talk about hope, but what we, we really are thinking of is optimism. When you just think things will turn out good. That's optimism. That's not hope. What Zechariah is talking about is something different. He's not saying that he's had a spiritual experience where he, now he's cheerful. He's not saying that he's sort of you know, coped with all of his problems and now he feels good. Uh, He's not saying that uh, he's realized that there's a bigger reality and so now he can put things in perspective. That's not what he's saying. What Zechariah celebrates is that God is actually doing something. He says that God is rescuing his people from the hands of their enemies and those who hate them. That's real world stuff. That God is acting on his promises to bring peace and salvation to his people. That's real world stuff. It's not just feeling good. He's not even just saying that, you know, we hope that there's a better tomorrow for us or maybe in the next life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that God is present right there. That God is doing something right there. But you know, he doesn't just stop there. Because then he addresses his son, his son, John. And he says this, You, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break on us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The forgiveness of sins, the conquering of death itself, and peace, completeness, wholeness, perfection. What John or what Zechariah is celebrating is that God is responding to sin and death itself. And that God has brought salvation to his people by coming up close and personal with him. By sending Zechariah's son John before and then God's own son Jesus so that death itself can be undone. He's not just hoping for for peace in our time. He's not just hoping that things will be nice for a season. What Zechariah's hope is for is that God himself will undo all of the wrong things in this world. Zechariah's hope is that through Jesus, for whom his son John will lead the way, that death itself will be defeated. That's a different kind of hope. It's a very different kind of hope. You know, traditionally, this is a prayer that that Christians have used in their in their morning prayers. In the Church of England and Lutheran churches, so often this is it's a part of what's called matins, the, the, the early morning service. And this prayer that John prays, it's not just for him. The reason that Luke puts it in his gospel is so that Christians can use it, so that we can pray it, so that we can learn what it means to hope in the same way that Zechariah hoped. To hope that God will come and do something about all the things in this world, in our lives, that we know to be wrong. And now what I'm not saying that if, and Zechariah's not saying, and the Bible doesn't say, that if you just pray hard enough, all your problems will go away doesn't say that. And that's not what Zechariah is talking about. But what he is talking about, and what we can come to understand when we pray this prayer, and when we sing this song, is that when even, thing, even when things look hopeless, even when death itself has overcome us, that God's not done. And that there is hope on the other side, a hope that won't disappoint us, Because it's the hope that God is faithful to his promise to raise the dead to new life. To rescue us when we can't do anything for ourselves. To rescue us from beyond our circumstances. To bring to the world itself a new day, a new morning, a new Jerusalem, a new world where there's no more death or crying or pain. That's the hope that Zechariah has when he prays this prayer. And I would encourage you to take it and pray it. I encourage you to do that with the song of Mary, the prayer of Mary too. Do that with this. Take it and just um, a few times this week. Use it morning is a good time to do it. It talks about the new dawn breaking. It helps you see that when you do it in the morning. It doesn't have to be in the morning. There's nothing magic about it. Pray this prayer with Zechariah. And come to see that God, even when it looks like God's a long way off, that God hasn't forgotten where 
we are. You know, sometimes what you, all you really need is that little bit of light in the distance. Uh, my daughter, Emmelyn, who all, nearly all of you have met, I would think, uh, we, had got, we were in a good situation. All, you know, we, had gotten, we, we got her to where we, would, uh, we could put her to bed, and you just go and you take her in there and you lay her down, and she might fuss just, usually she didn't, she might fuss just a little bit, but by the time you got to that door, usually she was sound asleep. And that was true up until about the time that Abigail was born. Because when we came, uh, we came home from the hospital, my parents are up to visit, and we're talking to them, and we said, yeah, you know, for a while it was trouble to get her to bed, but really she's done great recently, and we just put her down, and usually she just goes right to sleep at her crib. And right as I tell my mom that, I hear, that wasn't loud enough. It was really loud. Uh, wham! Emmeline has crawled over their bed rails and crawled out of the crib and gone smack on the floor. And so no more crib for Emmy because you couldn't keep her in it anymore. And so we had to train her to sleep again and her, we got her a big girl bed and we had to, to get her down. And it's gotten better sit for now, but for a while it was difficult to get her to go to sleep in that bed because she'd just hop out and she'd go anywhere that she wanted. I'm sure many of you have been through this too. You're laughing, so I can see that your memories are, are real and present. And so what we would have to do, we, you know, her room is by the kitchen and the living room, and we have to turn off all the lights. Right? Turn off the lights in the kitchen and the lights in the living room, and we go in there and you lay, you know, lie down with her and set her down and get her to go to sleep. And then I would have to sneak across the house silently and in darkness or near darkness off to our room in the distance when it's time to go to sleep. And, and the only way that I can make it through our messy house is messy. We have a two-year-old, you know, and there's stuff everywhere. There would be the light from our room that would kind of shine through the living room and you had that just that little bit of light that helped you walk through and avoid the Elsa doll and everything else, all the other obstacles in the middle. And, and, but it was that little bit of light in the distance that little, little bit that enabled me to walk back to the room and hope that I might get a good night's worth of sleep if the baby monitor didn't go off. And sometimes all you need is that little bit of light. What Zechariah senses here is not that all his problems have gone away. His son John will grow up and he'll be beheaded. He's not going to have a life free from trial. And the one that John leads the way for, Jesus himself, will grow up and be crucified. There's tragedy that's yet to come in the lives of this family. But Zechariah knows that with the birth of his son and then the birth of Jesus, the light that's on the horizon has shined toward them so that they can know what God's future holds for them. And the same thing is true for us. You know, we as Christians, this is, this is Advent time. It's the time of hope and preparation for Christmas. But if you're a Christian, all the time is Advent. And we do it now to help us learn how to do this all year round. But we're always stuck in that middle place where we've seen the hope, we've seen the promise of what God has said that he will do. And we're not fully there yet. It's not as if our, our pain and our trouble has fully gone away. 
But we see what God has promised. This glimmer of light that's told us that God hasn't forgotten us. A glimmer of light that on the day when Jesus comes back to make everything right will become the breaking of a new and glorious day. Sometimes all you need is that little bit of light to know that you can live now like that new day has already dawned. That's what Zechariah is praying here. And that's what we can pray when we become a people of hope, like he was, was a man, a person of hope. Let's pray. God, we pray that we would be confident that you are faithful to your promises. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hope like Zechariah hoped. We pray that we would know that through the coming of your son, we have seen, um, we have seen the, the glimmer of light that will become a new dawn on the day in which you come back and break the world right. Lord, we pray for that day. We pray that you would come again. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.